0: I told you yesterday we were going to be, uh, you know, tracking and paying attention this week, not only to the events at the RNC, but also what is happening on the Gulf Coast and what is happening in California and elsewhere. So Marco is petering out. The Tropical Storm Laura is turning into what may prove to be a major hurricane as it heads toward the U.S. Gulf Coast. So let's keep uh, our prayers ascending. Uh, Obviously, we're going to continue praying for those uh, in California facing the devastating ongoing fires uh, in, in that state as well. Um, thank you for all of those uh, who are listening, who have responded to uh, our our calls for help in Iowa following the derecho two weeks ago. Um, and keep us, you know, keep us informed of what's happening in your neck of the woods. You can always text me at 877-933-2484, or you can email me, Carmen at Uh, A couple of competing narratives that I think are important to illuminate um, this morning. Nikki Haley um, at the at the RNC uh, last night. Remember, Nikki Haley, uh, Trump's uh, one of President Trump's ambassadors to the United Nations, served as uh, the governor of South Carolina. Um, She said um, she said in her speech in much of the Democratic Party, it's now fashionable to say that America is racist. That's a lie. America is not a racist country. She talked about how it is personal for her. She says, I'm the proud daughter of Indian immigrants. They came to America and settled in a small southern town. My father wore a turban. My mother wore a sari. Uh, I was a brown girl in a black and white world. So there's one narrative and one conversation. We've talked a little bit about Herschel Walker's speech. We've talked a little bit about Tim Scott's speech. Um, then we got to shift our attention uh, to another narrative. And so let me you know, turn the camera here to focus for a moment uh, on Kenosha, Wisconsin, The people uh, of uh, many people in Kenosha, Wisconsin, have taken to the streets. They are venting their anger uh, over the shooting of Jacob Blake by police. Um, Buildings and cars were set on fire. Blake, a 29-year-old dad, was shot in the back multiple times by an officer on Sunday as he tried to uh, enter, get back into his SUV, which, by the way, his three young children were sitting in as he was shot. Um, and so uh, no question that this is um, yet more evidence of the need for uh, not only criminal justice reform in this country, um, but police reform and policing reform and how we engage with one another um as citizens and as members of law enforcement here in the United States of America. Obviously, this comes in the midst of ongoing protests and riots in some places across the country after the deaths of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. So I'm going to pick up with this topic with Justin Gibney when we come back from a very brief break. Justin joins me uh, every couple of weeks from the And campaign, and we're going to talk uh, leading off today about Jacob Blake. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Justin Gibney joins me now from the And campaign. Justin, welcome
2: back. Hey Carmen, thanks for having me.
0: So you know, this was not how I anticipated us starting the conversation today, but um, because it has happened again, um, I feel the I feel the obligation, the need, the personal need to lift up the story of um, of Jacob Blake. Um, I just, you know, maybe just gut reaction. What is your gut reaction to what happened? in Kenosha, Wisconsin, and then what's happening now?
2: Yeah, I think the biggest thing that comes to mind for me is that this was preventable, that this didn't have to happen and that we have to do everything we can to prevent it. Uh, We know that some image bearers lost a father, uh, brother, son, and so on. And so I think, especially the church, uh, now is the time not to just talk about it or go back and forth about how we feel, but to do something about it and set an example.
0: All right. And so getting beyond feelings, because I do think that at some point we have to get beyond the feelings conversation. I completely agree with you. How do we how today let's just let's just make it really practical today for someone listening. How do they tangibly take this beyond a feelings conversation in their own community?
2: Well, I think it always can start with education. Uh, just to make sure that those in your church and around you know what's going on and know why it's problematic. Uh, That's always a good place to start. Uh, As you know, we have the Prayer and Action Justice Initiative, which is really about giving Christians an opportunity and kind of on ramps to help fix this problem on on a kind of policy basis. And so, you know, Christians, if we, I don't, this doesn't get solved. I don't know how we solve this if Christians with our ethic and with our beliefs and our hope aren't on the front lines of of fixing this problem.
0: All right, let's talk about the Prayer and Action uh, Justice Initiative. And Justin's talking here about something that you can find at andcampaign, A-N-D, andcampaign.org. Talk talk with us about this.
2: Yeah, so uh, the Prayer and Action Justice Initiative is a group, really an unprecedented group of Christian organizations that have come together to say something needs to change, that the church Uh, that God has an expectation that we will do justice. And it's because we believe in the authority of Scripture that we are compelled to love our neighbors through doing justice and making sure they're treated fairly. Uh, And it's time for us to step up. I think for too long, the church has been kind of ambiguous on where we stand when it comes to racial justice and uh, criminal justice reform. And now it's time to speak loudly. So, you know, the largest African-American denomination, the Church of God in Christ, Uh, the National Association of Evangelicals, World Relief, the American Bible Society, uh, several different Hispanic organizations and uh, Asian evangelical organizations have come together to say, we need to do something about this. And so the focus will be on, number one, the biblical grounding for doing something about this. So we start with doctrine. We start with the Bible and and prayer. And then we go on to say, well, how can we get to some nonpartisan policy That can help change this issue, you know, help change the criminal justice system. And then, as we've talked about before, there's also the Churches Helping Churches Initiative, which is really just about helping churches in low-income areas, because those areas really depend on those churches as as pillars.
0: All right. So you you will appreciate this, Justin. Just a couple of weeks ago, I had somebody reach out in an email and say, hey, I remember a conversation that you had once about how churches could help churches. What was that called and where could I find it? Um, and so I was able to say, oh, it's just called Churches Helping Churches. Um, is a great reminder that this is an ongoing, um, there's an ongoing need and there are ongoing efforts in which people can engage.
2: Absolutely. This is going to be an effort that we hope gives Christians no excuse not to be engaged. Because sometimes, it, I mean, you asked me that question because, you know, there are people who want to help but just don't know what to do. We want to take that away. We want to give Christians on ramps to do things locally. So a lot of what we're going to do and people who know uh, 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 a little bit about criminal justice know that m- most criminal justice efforts are going to be more local or, or on, on a state level. And so while we're going to galvanize Christians on a national net level, we're really going to work on a state and local level to make sure that we get some changes that have nothing to do about what party you're in. But just by the fact that you think justice is valuable and we should be able to see eye to eye on that stuff.
0: So I remember a conversation, Justin, um, with a with an attorney who um, he's a Christian and he was having a conversation with some women in his church. And they're like, we just don't feel like, you know, this is not you know, there's a safety concern. I mean, like they they had, you know, this list of, I think, very heartfelt um, fears, maybe is the right word, because they didn't have any relationships that they could um you know, that they could build upon. And so he said, you know, let me tell you where I think you could serve today um, in a tangible way um, because it is, in his experience as an attorney, he said it's the it's the place where people are in the, the highest level of stress and need. And he said, that's right in front of the courthouse. Just go to your local courthouse and sit on a bench and and as you encounter people coming in and out, Pray with them. Pray for them. Ask, you know, how you can serve them. Um, he said it, it is it is an extraordinary place and space where Christians could be serving, but we just simply don't view that as a, um, you know, as a place where maybe uh, there's a ministry opportunity. So there are really tangible ways that each and every one of us can engage in our own local communities. Um, and if you want some resources related to that, you could go to churchrelief.org. That's the Church's helping churches um, site. Um, And then you can also obviously go to uh, the AND campaign. Justin, let's take a very brief break. When we come back, will you talk with us a little bit about your observations um, about the DNC uh, convention last week and the platform? Sure. Great. And then we're going to have a conversation also about uh, a Christian coalition of, uh, of, of church groups or Christian groups for criminal justice reform. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen.
1: Today, I'm hungry and I'm ready for change i will run too far
0: to still be the same. See, Continuing my conversation with Justin Gibney from the AND Campaign. Justin, some um, some observations uh, about the uh, DNC convention last week and your thoughts on the platform.
2: Sure. Uh, one thing that stuck out to me was the focus on faith. Uh, I think last time around, when, when Hillary Clinton was the nominee, they really just— had very little to do with faith. There was very little faith outreach, and this was almost the opposite. Uh, my good friend, uh, Dr. Gabriel Saguero actually gave a prayer and, and mentioned, uh, basically, the, the unborn uh, and the importance of that. And so there was a focus on that, uh, like I haven't seen in, in a while. Um, but then you see the substance of that missing from, from some of the platform, right? You see you know, the focus on um, ab- abortion and, and uh, those rights, so to speak, you see uh, no, one, no one really backing off of their support of the Equality Act, which was severely compromised religious liberty. So I, I did have an appreciation for what was said about uh, poverty, health care, uh, things of that nature. And it really did stick out to me that there was a focus on faith, but we would hope that it's, it's, it's more of the substance of faith gets in there. Um, and so w- we'll see what happens. But they, but they brought it to the fore, um, and that was a, a huge part of the message in the DNC.
0: Okay. And then um, talk with me. I, I'm reading, I mean, the AP News is covering, so that's, you know, pretty uh, pretty widespread coverage about a coalition of Christian groups pushing for criminal justice reform. Certainly a theme lifted up last night at the RNC.
2: Yeah. I mean, like I said before, that Prayer in Action Justice Initiative, we, you know, had some conversations with uh, uh, the Associated Press. And again, it's an unprecedented coalition of Groups, faith groups are coming together saying, Now is the time for Christians to speak out. You know, it's interesting that anytime something happens, you always hear people say, Where's the church? There's this expectation that the church would be there. And I think not necessarily always based on what we've done, but based on the understanding of who Jesus is. Uh, And so it's time for Christians to step up and say, Look, the Bible is full of unjust imprisonments. I mean, we see a lot of injustice in the Bible, and we always see God going against that holding people accountable for injustice and it's time as his servants for us to serve that purpose.
0: Yeah, I'm thinking um I mean you know I'm thinking of Paul, I'm thinking of uh of Joseph in the Old Testament. I mean, we had a lot there is a lot of unjust incarceration. Um and, you know, even obviously the unjust carrying out of uh of capital punishment. I mean, you know, Stephen stoned to death in the middle of the street ought to be um you know, a, a a cry to all of us against vigil, vigilantism uh, in the world today. Um, but the way that people are treated in in the Bible, um, I, I think those stories are in there because God wants us to know that it's wrong. It's just fundamentally wrong to treat people in ways that are less than um, equal image bearers in his sight. I just, I think those stories are there so that God can declare to us um, that we have been at this in the, in a wrong way for a long time. And for those of us who know Christ and know what it means to be redeemed and know that the color of skin uh, is irrelevant in the kingdom of heaven, um, but strangely relevant now, like, right, um, that we we're called to the forefront of this conversation today. This is the conversation taking place in our country today, and people of faith have to be engaged in it.
2: Yeah, it shouldn't take much to get Christians excited about justice. Um, you know, we often talk about how other groups do it wrong, whether it's secular groups or all that. Well, the, well, the, the response to that, as I've said before, should be to do it right, to, to put out an example of justice uh, applied to the social, you know, what's going on socially in a biblical way. That's the way to correct something. We should not run from justice because other people do it wrong. We should run to it to provide an example, and maybe they will follow that example when they see it's it's done right. We cannot sit out of this conversation and kind of, you know, um, sit in our ivory towers and just watch. That's not what Christianity is about. We have to get in it, and we have to disinfect whatever's going on for the sake of human dignity and to glorify God.
0: All right. So, Justin, I'd love to talk with you about your experience in this People of Faith Engage 2020 webinar um, it included Michael W. Smith. It included um, uh, Southern Baptist leader Richard Land, who, for those of you who don't know, uh, Richard headed up the ERLC before Russell Moore. Uh, it included um, our mutual friend Michael Ware, who also served as President Obama's Evangelical Outreach Leader, and uh, and you were there as well as Caitlin Shice. Um, what was your what was your just experience of having this conversation um, that was hosted by you know a senior political strategist? But the The goal here was to get Christians engaged, people of faith engaged, um, ahead of what is going to be, is already, a very contentious election cycle.
2: Yeah, it was a good conversation. And and what I thought was great about it is, was that we didn't agree on some things. Right. We we uh we didn't necessarily agree on, you know, uh, some things about the administration, but we were able to have a constructive conversation and agree that Christians should be involved. And there's a lot that Christians can do outside of who they're going to vote for uh, on November. And that's a, such an important message. As you know, it's a message that we talk about in our book, Compassion and Conviction, that came out in July Christians cannot just be focused on that one vote. We put so much of our hope, our our, our feelings, you know, our, our mood is based on what's going to happen on a vote when that's only really a small part of what's going on in politics as a whole. Uh, so that's not to say that we shouldn't take it importantly. I think everybody I mean, we shouldn't take it seriously. Uh, I think everybody should should vote. But understand there's so much other work that we can do Uh, don't put all, you know, don't put everything into that because there's a lot of other work to be done.
0: When I say that all politics is local, what does that mean for you where you live?
2: Yeah, it means that it hits home. It means that it it affects my neighbor. Uh, Mm -hmm. It it affects the programs that are accessible to them. It, It affects how they're treated, uh, by the authorities. And so it always comes home. It's always something that impacts the people that that are near you. And if we care about our neighbors, we should be able to see that impact clearly and care about that impact. And that's why we think social action from a biblical standpoint is so so important, because it does have an impact on people that we care about or at least should care about.
0: You know, Justin, it it occurs to me that even just my stopping and talking with my most local of law enforcement or my most local of first responders, so the guys that are like literally at the firehouse and literally at the police station in my tiny little town, literally stopping and just having a conversation with them um, about uh, what we're witnessing around the country and how they're having that conversation in my local community. Because they're obviously, those guys are talking about these things, but they're not talking about them, you know, out in the public arena, um, but I, as a citizen, could go and ask, or could go and seek to have those conversations um, and voice my understanding of every person as an image bearer of the living God, and even offer, you know, even offer myself to say, you know, hey, if you need somebody to go with you, like, right, like call, call on those of us who live here. If you feel like you're going into a situation where, um, where the voice of another person other than a police officer is going to be helpful, like maybe. At that level, locally, we need to offer ourselves in service to law enforcement.
2: Yeah, no, I think that's good. I think that's right. And another thing that you can do is do that as a church, right? So mm, have town good. halls, have conversations where people are being informed. But most important, you're building a relationship. You know, in those areas where the police officers have relationships with people in the neighborhood, you're just going to have a better interaction. And I think churches can really help uh, create a constructive uh, relationship between the community and and uh, the authorities, the police officers and so on.
0: Justin, um, thank you as always for joining us. Thank you for what you do every single day at the AND Campaign. want to encourage people to check out what's going on at the AND Campaign. It's just the letters AND, A-N-D, campaign.org. You can find Justin there. His book, his podcast, you know, all the goodies. Justin, thanks so much.
2: Thanks for having me, Carmen.
0: Appreciate it. We've got to take a break for Breakpoint. All right. So, writing is a craft, writing is an art. Writing about ourselves is sometimes dicey. Writing about the truth is um, always important to do. Carolyn Weber is an author, she's an essayist, she's a poet. Um, She's an Oxford-educated Ph.D. in literature, and she's the author of a new book that is um, part memoir, part hmm, theological observation. And it's entitled, I know this is provocative, Sex and the City of God. It's not about what you think. She's up next, here to tell us the story.
1: Spend a lifetime telling God to be quiet, and he will do just that. In hell, God honors our request for silence. This is Max Locato. Hell is not a correctional facility or reform school. Its members hear no candid sermons. They do not hear the Spirit of God or the voice of God or the voice of God's people. In Ezekiel 33:11, God says, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. It is not God's will that any should perish, but the fact that some do highlights God's justice. God must punish sin. Thanks to Christ, this earth can be the nearest you come to hell. But apart from Christ, this earth is the nearest you come to heaven. John 3.16 says, Whoever believes in him shall not perish. God makes the offer, but we make the choice. What's your choice? This is Max Locato.
0: year that uh, Christians dating today or seeking to date today um, actually found political affiliation as a more significant deal-breaker than a person's faith. I'm, I'm guessing Carolyn Weber has something to say about that. Among other things, she is the author of Sex and the City of God. It is part memoir, part theological exploration of love. And she's joining us today, Carolyn Weber. Welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you so much for having
3: me, Carmen. It's lovely to connect here on this side of heaven.
0: <laughs> well, it's great to connect with you too. Um, it's it's fun to read uh, read a memoir that is that reads like a novel, and that's because you obviously have uh, a, an excellent proficiency in writing that draws the reader in. Um, uh, talk with us Thank about you. how this how this book, Sex in the City of God, is, is part memoir. I mean, there's a story here, but there's really like truth telling in this about desire and reality and beauty and grace and abundant life and love. So invite us into sort of the larger conversation you're trying to have in the book.
3: Mm, thank you so much, Carmen. Well, I think the book really grew out of a lot of conversations with my students over many, many years, colleagues, friends. And I really believe in the power of story. I love literature, as you know. I'm a literature professor. uh, So I hadn't imagined myself writing memoir until um, the last few years when I was thinking more about sharing my faith life. But it grew then out of, I really believe, that story, the tool that Jesus himself uses is um, probably the most powerful way to connect with people. And so I wanted to um, interweave extending more thoughts in my own life to what I was sharing with students or what I wanted to share with my own children um, through thinking about our relationship to relationships. And that's really uh, a grid of my first memoir, Surprised by Oxford. Uh, I had a lot of questions about Dating as a you know, especially as a new believer, or what is what does it mean to be single, and and it was just years of percolating those ideas, as well as being married myself, that uh, led to the production of this book.
0: Okay, so the opening scene I think really matters. Um, mm, the setting matters. The characters matter. TDH matters. Um, <laughs> Ultimately, I think God is sort of the main character. He emerges as the main character of the book. Um, yeah, that's that's important as a part of this. Um, but maybe set the opening scene so that uh, so that people understand where this book begins.
3: Well, this book begins with actually the uh, uh, with an ending in a sense, or a temporary ending. begins mm-hmm. so with the death of my father, uh, and I had grown up with um, a complicated relationship with my father. Um, like many of us, he was in and out of my life. Um, and he had also dealt with some significant mental illness and, um, uh, and whatnot as well. And he ended up um, becoming a Christian later in my life when we came back home to spend time with him. And by the time we had lost him, um, we had, had a very close relationship with him, and, uh, um, and it was just a real gift from God. And I, I think when our parents die, our cosmos tilts. You know, Carmen significantly, um, with, with mothers and fathers, regardless of our relationship. But there is something about fathers. You know, I, I do think there is um, real truth to that search for our identity in our fathers, and and it really got me thinking about, you know, um, who is at our deathbed. You know, we're so we're so focused in our culture of who we're sharing our beds with. You know in larger media and all sorts of things and we don't think often about the connection of who will be at our deathbed and how that's connected and it really got me thinking too about genealogy um and uh and adoption and those themes of being an heir and um and of our own heavenly father and our own um connection in the bible and all those stories how that played out and that sex is a big part of that but it's connected to relationship um primarily and uh, and those are the things that are not shared with our kids. You know, um, they're sent home from school, public schools with condoms, but not with any idea on how to have a relationship or what their options might be or or just other viable ways of thinking that there is another way. And it was really that death of my father got me thinking through all of those um, symbolic relationships biblically as well as in my own life and, and that first commandment, you know, to to love our um, God first uh, and ordering our loves, and that's where I was then got drawn into thinking back through Augustine as well and the notion of ordering our loves based on that first commandment and how important that is everything else falls into place um, with that first commandment and how are we actually thinking about loving God if we're Christians. Um, doesn't matter our, our marital status. Socially, our dating status, we're already married. You know, we've committed ourselves to taking our decisions first to Christ and having a relationship first with Him, whether we're single or married or whatnot. And uh, I, I think that rattling of my world and losing my father while we were going through so many other things as well made me think through uh, the powerful um, symbolism of, of uh, relationship.
0: All right, if you're listening right now and you think to yourself, whoa, I want to read that. That um I already <laughs> Carolyn has already drawn me in. I, I want to read that. I do have five copies of the book to give away today. You can text the word book to eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. The book is Sex and the City of God. Carolyn Weber is the author. You should absolutely follow her on Twitter uh, at Carolyn Weber, but you should also visit her website, Carolyn Weber, W E B E R. Uh, Carolyn com. Carolyn. Um, so the word begat, um, comes Mm. to me as I'm having this conversation Mm. with you, right? The word, the word begat, um, big word in the Bible, not a big word we use today. Talk about, talk about begat.
3: That's a great word to focus on because there's so many words that we don't use. I think we're, I, I think we don't talk in our larger culture about our origins, in large ways, in terms of even the, the dignity we're given in, in creation, uh, to w- what we're made for, and the design mm. we're made for, and what we will inherit, and that's where I was also really struck by the two cities uh, that Augustine sets out. And so, you know, if, you know, Carmen, if you told me I was going to write a book with the word sex in its title, I never would have believed it as an <laughs> English professor. <laughs> but I, and I didn't mean for it to be a salacious title, but I was actually really trying to get maybe our readers to think about, you know, how we have this culture that looks at sex in this way, but what happens when we add God? And, um, and Begat reminds us that we are created with a purpose, and we do have an end. And I, I think when things come down to it, when you're asking the political question we first started, um, you know, that someone's politics would be more important than their faith, it's amazing to me, because I do agree with Augustine that ultimately it comes down to two types of people. Um, And two different citizenships uh, that define everything, and it's whether you belong to the city of God or whether you choose to belong to the city of man, and uh, which citizenship do you hold? And the two cities are called to live in peace, but they have very different ends. And uh, and what is your citizenship in that? One is eternal, and one is temporal. And when we think about begetting, yes, we have this life here incarnated like Christ is as well, but we have this eternal life as, as, as well if we we're in the city of God. And that gives us a whole different perspective and a whole different way of ordering our loves and understanding our purpose and um, and our responsibility to others.
0: All right. I find myself wondering right now, Carolyn, if you're in a secret club with Karen Swallow Pryor. <laughs> Okay, we're gonna we're gonna oh, we we're, I, I, we're gonna we're gonna have to go to a break. But um, if you are in a secret club with Karen Swallow Prior, we're gonna all want to know about that uh, in just a moment. All right, <laughs> "Sex in the City of God: A Memoir of Love and Longing" is the book. The author is Carolyn Weber. I do have copies. Text the word "book" to eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. We'll be right back. Continuing my conversation with author, speaker, essayist, professor Carolyn Weber. We're talking about her new book, Sex and the City of God. You can follow her on Twitter at Carolyn Weber. You can also check out her website, Um, All right. So my listeners are familiar with Karen Swallow Pryor. We have her on um, from time to time. We love her. She's a professor, she's also an author, and she likes to play with words. I'm guessing you're in a club together.
3: I would love to be in a club together with her. <laughs> I'm a huge fan of hers. She's an incredibly gracious person. She actually provided one of the most moving endorsements um I've ever seen for this book. It really got to the pulse of it. She put her finger on the pulse of it. Um it's just uh she's uh, a beautiful person and I I think I mean she and I are both literature geeks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> she was the one that I love Jane Eyre, the Jane Eyre reference. And I thought, oh, great, she got the reference. She just loves the reference to Jane Eyre. So I think that with literature geeks, um, we all have our love language from God. All, you know, we each have a way that he speaks to us particularly, and we love words. I love words. I know Karen does, too, and, and story. and And I think it does help you have this just awe of how incredibly amazing something like the Bible is. Uh, I did not grow up in a home of faith. I did not grow up knowing the Bible. I actually have a perfect example of someone, Carmen, who went through, you know, 20 years of public school education and never cracked open a Bible, um, which is shocking to me, even just objectively. And uh, when I read it, I could not believe, actually, as a trained literature student, how incredible it was, just Mm -hmm. from a story point of view. I mean, just how it, you know, unfolds from Genesis to Revelation. You can't make this stuff up, (laughs) It's incredible, you can't make this stuff up, but the individual verses even the power of individual words and uh and so I think she shares that love as well that all literature, all words reflect that um um reflect that power in the bible and uh and i I think it's no small coincidence you know that the Lord came as a baby in a book um and a word, uh, that there's a lot of power in Scripture. And when you are a reader, um, it's you can't ignore that. It, it jumps out at you so much more. Like Madeline Langle said, you can never plumb the depths of the Bible. You can never, ever get to the bottom of the mystery and meaning. And uh, it just constantly gives me goosebumps um, when I really sit with what it means and how truthful it is.
0: Well, and the reason the book is so good is not because it tells your story. It's because it takes us into uh, the larger story Uh, you know, and, and into God's word. Um, The other, the other place where I feel like you get really like jazzed is, (laughs) is in conversations about the holiness of God.
3: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because we don't, we, we don't talk about the relevance of reverence. We, we, we don't want to talk about holiness. One of the most controversial classes I ever had, and I think this is something that, you know, Karen would identify too. Sometimes as a professor, your most surprising topics end up being the most controversial classes, the classes that you, you know, the kids will not leave; They're fighting way past the bell. And probably the most controversial class I ever had was a class about the topic of virtue, Hmm. which shocked me. I didn't see that coming. Um, And the students really had their knickers in a knot over, uh, You know, they were talking back and forth about who was cheating on whom and, you know, in Hollywood and this and that. And one of them was upset that, uh, you know, somebody had cheated on their husband or somebody had cheated on their wife. And somebody else was saying, well, why would you have that expectation if they don't ascribe to anything larger they're responding to or answering to? And it was just this huge argument about virtue. And it's, in a way, something we don't want to touch. We don't want to talk about values. And or virtues and how they're connected. Um, We tend to see, you know, emphasis on something like chastity is heavy handed instead of connected to a design or a purpose or even the development and protection of your own heart. Um, We tend to mock things as opposed to really looking at them or holding them. Um, I teach a lot of critical thinking. You know, we tend to do ad hominem. We tend to put people down before we even hear their ideas because of stereotypes. And, uh, Jesus, I you know, radically challenged all of that and rattled all those categories. I remember Earl Palmer speaking when I was out in Seattle and he said, Jesus is the norm. And that just, that just shocked me. He said, Jesus is, you know, God's norm for us. And I had thought of him as you know kind of way out there and not something I could identify with instead of thinking of him as how God has designed us to be. And, um, and I think Karen would probably recognize that, too, that love for the Word and for literature and for story, but also the power of the holiness of God. Um, and we don't speak of it enough. Um, it's hard to actually speak of, you know, as we know from Yahweh, but, but to even approach it and, and have conversations about it. We, we just don't go there in our larger culture. Um, I think we're very afraid.
0: Yeah, I think we are, too, because ultimately— yeah it, it's ultimately you know if i if i'm not um drawn to the holiness of god if i if i don't recognize that as a well that i will never find the bottom of um or the end of um then i'm also not open to that holiness transforming me i'm, I'm exactly my resistance to being transformed is what leads me to resist being drawn into the holiness of god because you can't draw near unto him without being changed
3: Absolutely, you can't. It's it's a it's a fire, right? It's a transformation, crucible. And you're absolutely right. And that's why you know that is the difference between carbon and a diamond. And and um and yet in our secular mainstream educational system, um I can speak entirely for secular academia. We talk about everything except God. Um in, in classrooms or lectures. God is a big scary thing, or a thing that you can be fired for discussing, or if it's, you know, um, if it doesn't fit the agenda. So there's this, but it's been there for years. I mean, we thought when, you know, Jesus walked here too. I mean, there is a fear that is not the fear of God in the reverential way, but, you know, that fear of, as you said, not wanting to be disturbed.
0: Hmm. All right. Um, I know everybody listening Once more. Carolyn Weber is her name. Uh, the most recent release is Sex and the City of God, but she's got other books you should check out as well. Uh, check her out at carolynweber.com. Yes, I have books to give away today. Text the word book to 877-933-2484. Carolyn, I'm already uh, looking forward to our next conversation. I just uh, oh, thank, thank you, you for joining you us see. today. Thank what you a total joy. Yeah, because I oh. want to know about the menagerie of animals on the farm. Like, I have so many questions that we didn't get to. <laughs> Right. Oh, you're
3: delightful, and God bless you in <laughs> your important work. Thank you so well, much,
0: Carmen. Likewise, thank you. We'll be right back.
1: All
0: right, how much fun is it to be a Christian? Like, I mean, just the people that we've had the privilege of talking with today, aren't you just saying to yourself, God has got some really good people out there doing really good work. So let's be praying for professors today on the front lines of uh, Christian higher education like Mark Caleb Smith and lots of other people that we talk with here. Um, Let's be praying for journalists uh, who are Christians who are on the front line of bringing us the stories of the day and helping us to see them through a Christian worldview like Sarah Ekoff-Zalstra, um, let's be thankful today for our brothers and sisters in Christ on what I'll call the front lines of advocacy and political change in the country, like Justin Gibney at the ANN campaign. Um, and let's thank God for people who write good stories and teach good stuff. Uh, I just, you know, Carolyn Weber just joined us. And I just I just find myself not only having a really good time doing my job and thankful for it and thankful for Paul Perot behind. Like he's behind ah, the scenes pushing shucks. the buttons.
1: Right. Ah, yeah. Thank like,
0: you. Like, look at what a great job you did today producing this show, bringing these guests into the conversation um, and helping all of us to uh, to have a fresh start to the day. Uh, you know, so thank you. Well, Thanks, welcome. Paul. Very welcome. Thank you to each and every one of you who are listening. If you are uh, listening right now and you didn't hear me say a few minutes ago that we have copies of Carolyn Weber's new book to give away, we want to be sure you know that. All you do is text the word book to 877-933-2484. I hope you're having a great day. Um, if not, go and make it a great day. Get back into the Word of God. Bring God's gospel reality to bear on the issues and challenges that you're facing in your life. Um, call for help if you if you need that. The Christian community is available to come alongside. Like, that is who we are, and that is what we do. Um, and so just remember, God, God does draw near to the brokenhearted, if that's where you find yourself this morning. My uh, prayers go out for you even as my or my prayers go up for you even as my heart goes out to you. Thank you for listening. You can catch the podcast at myfaithradio.com. We've also got a mornings with Carmen page there for you to check out. Have a great day. God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app.